Good morning, Getwell Church. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, We are in the second week of a sermon series called Life Lessons, Widely Accepted, Rarely Lived Out. Now, when we say life lessons, we say that through the lens of how God speaks truth to us. And that truth is found in his word through the scripture. Through this truth, we are called to commit ourselves to certain ways of living and being. And in many ways, many of these truths have become part of a foundation of what we call healthy living. Now, humankind over the years has widely accepted biblical principles of experiencing what we call a good life. The problem is that most of us struggle with these principles. And today, we're going to be looking at one of them. It's the principle of rest. It's a word that's foreign to many of us in our culture today. You see, our lives are busier than ever. We have commitments, we have responsibilities, we have to-do lists, and things that we simply think that we must do. We push ourselves to do more, accomplish more, and experience more. We fill our calendars to the max with endless events that in doing so takes a toll on our souls, our minds, and our bodies. We have very little time for rest and even less time for focus on God, much less self-reflection. There must be a better way to live, and there is. We can find that way of rest, that true rest, but where do we look for it? Where should we even begin to look for that true rest? Scripture, of course. But before we begin our journey today, I want to say this. We are going on a journey today. And this journey, as you can see on the back of your bulletin, requires a lot of Scripture and a short amount of time to do it. So that's why it's listed there for you. One thing I want to make a note of, there is a typo in there that is my fault. I gave it to Tech, and I put in there Exodus 30 when it should say Exodus 20. So wherever you see that Exodus First Exodus passage, it is Exodus 20 and not 30. But my prayer for you today is that you see the word rest in a way that you have never seen it before. So let's go to scripture. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So notice this. By the seventh day, God completed all that he had done. Notice in verse 3 this word holy. This is the first time holy is used in scripture. And the root of that word holy means to separate or even better it means to elevate. It's the separation that actually elevates or exalts. So here in this scripture for the first time, we come across the idea of God taking something and elevating it. That is, God takes this seventh day as an exalted day, a day lifted above all other days, and God makes it holy 
and declares it to be so. When it says in verse 2 that by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, he rested. And this, he rested again in verse 3. He rested from all his work which he had created and made. See, this word rest here in Hebrew is Shabbat. Is Shabbat. It means to cease work. God practiced. It also means Sabbath. So God practiced his Shabbat or his Sabbath, and he did it on the seventh day. The seventh day is a Saturday because in the Jewish culture, they went by the calendar from evening to morning is each day. And so Jews, even to this day, still celebrate Sabbath from Friday evening until Saturday evening. That is their Sabbath. But what we need to understand in this word that God rested, it does not mean that God is tired. He hasn't grown weary. He's God. Look at Isaiah passage here. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalms 121 says that God never slumbers or sleeps. So there's got to be a reason that God ceased his work in such a way. Working six days of creation and then the seventh day ceasing to work, it has to mean something else. It points to something else besides what we know as physical rest, you know, in the scripture. God didn't need a physical rest. But here's something I want you to notice. You don't hear in any of these verses, even after this, about people resting. There's nothing about man resting, nothing here about Adam resting. Because Adam was without sin, he was perfect in every sense. There doesn't any talk about depletion of energies with whatever he was doing other than the simple taking care of the garden. There's no need at this point or having a day of rest for man. What would he rest from? He's living in a paradise with no labor, no sweat, no expending of energy. There's no Sabbath law in this. It just simply says at this point in Scripture, God rested it's nothing about a day of worship. It doesn't say anything about that. It's isolated completely at this point to God. He completed his creation. He's satisfied with it, and he ceased. He blessed it. This day would have special meaning in the future. This is so important for us to understand. This day, this seventh day, was elevated above all other days for what reason? And it's to remember God's glory of creation, his perfection in creation. Every seventh day from here on out would be a reminder that God in six days created a universe that was perfect. Have you ever asked yourself, why do we operate our calendars always in terms of sevens. There's a reason that we've done that, and man has always done so, and it's because this seventh day was set up for us as a reminder that God created the universe. The next time we run into this word, 
Shabbat or Sabbath or rest is not until 2,500 years later in Exodus 16. And think through this. All the time of the patriarchs has come and gone. None of them worshipped like we would think on a Sabbath. It was not prescribed for them. It was not mandated from them. Not Abraham, not Isaac, nor Jacob, nor the rest of the people of God. The first time Sabbath is mentioned in some significant way is in the 16th chapter of Exodus. When God feeds the people, people manna from heaven as they wander in the wilderness. And it tells before that Sabbath day, I'm going to provide more for you so you'll have so you don't have to work and you can observe that day. But we got to understand here, as manna comes each and every day, it's giving them a preview of something that's coming. Because in the 20th chapter of Exodus, we get the Ten Commandments. And it's in the Ten Commandments that God gives this law for the Sabbath day. It's the first time any such law has been given for this. It's very important that we understand this. It shows up again only on Mount Sinai. Let's look. Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now we have a law. Keep the Sabbath. Don't work. It's a holy day. It's number four of the Ten Commandments. And here we go in Exodus 31, we get further understanding of this. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is what? A sign between me and you through your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days a week shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to rest, to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. What happened if they worked? They were cut off from the people, put to death. What? Put to death? I mean, in your notes, I want you to highlight verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and who? The people of Israel. That the Lord made heaven and earth in the seventh day. He was refreshed, rested and refreshed. See, here's what we find in the Ten Commandments of this Sabbath. It is a sign. 
It is a symbol. It points to something else. It's placed in the middle or near the middle of the Ten Commandments because it is connected to what we understand as the Mosaic Covenant. Who is the sign between God and Israel? Not the Gentiles, just Israel. When God, think about this, God made a covenant with Noah. What was the sign? He promised Noah he would never destroy the world again, and he identified that with what? The rainbow. When he was with Abraham, he made a covenant with Abraham. He designated the sign. The sign with Abraham was participation among the people of Israel was the sign of circumcision. And now here you have in the Mosaic covenant another sign, and this sign is the Sabbath. And it was specific for the people of Israel. It was to remind them of creation. It was to remind them that they had forfeited paradise that man had forfeited paradise in the garden when he disobeyed God. And now God is saying, I want you to remember this by obeying this law. Remember it, and God said repeatedly, obey this law and you will be blessed. Why? He wanted to show them through the law that there was a possibility of righteous behavior and a taste of Eden's paradise that would, had been lost. So the Sabbath, every Sabbath in Jewish history that went by, when they rested, they were reminded that they were perfect in creation. They were in paradise, dominated by righteous, but was forfeited by sin and could only be regained again by righteousness. It was a reminder every seventh day that they live in a fallen world This reminder was between God and Israel, no one else. But here's the deal. 1,500 years later, Jesus comes on the scene, and he changes everything. He changes everything. Let's look at passages in the gospel to see how Jesus created the Sabbath. We're going to first start in the gospel of Matthew. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields. When? On the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence? which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. That's in the temple. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus argues with him. He says, wait a minute. David was hungry. His men were hungry, and they went against the law, and they ate that showbread in the, in the temple. The priest in the temple, they work on Sunday, or on Sabbath, not Sunday. They violate it by working on that day. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Something greater than the temple and the law is here. Mercy, 
is greater than sacrifice because Jesus is pointing to something new. See, Mark, the Gospel of Mark tells the same story. And we won't read that whole passage, but I want you to read the last verse of this same story. It's in Mark 2.27. And he said to them, this is important, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, see, Jesus... Rather than agreeing with these Pharisees over their concern for the Sabbath, points to other violations. Why? He can do anything he wants. He can institute it. He can make commands for further restrictions. He could require death for violation of those commands as in the Mosaic law, or he could set it aside totally. He can do away with it. Why? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's God on earth. What we see through these Gospels is a transition taking place. As Jesus arrives, everything that is part of that system of Judaism is basically coming to an end, or at least Jesus is fulfilling it. He's come to do something new. How does Luke talk about this? Let's go into Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of what? The Pharisees. They were watching him carefully and behold there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, he asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. They couldn't even reply to this. Because the Pharisees thought that healing someone on the Sabbath was a violation of the law. And I don't think it a coincidence that Jesus chose the Sabbath to actually do these things. Because why? It struck a blow to the symbol. It struck a blow to the sign. What Jesus is announcing is the end of the Sabbath as for the Jewish people as they knew it. By the way, you can go through Old Testament law of Leviticus And and in the Old Testament, there's nothing that says there's a violation of healing people on the Sabbath. That was just one of the many man-made laws, the extra laws the Pharisees had added. And these things infuriated the Pharisees because Jesus was going against what they said. He was messing with their man-made traditions, their law. See, look at the Gospel of John. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. But now, think if we're thinking through this, it seems we have a dilemma, right? We have Jesus, who is God on earth, seemingly violating his own law that he gave in the Ten Commandments. But here's the reality, and you can research this. Do you know that out of the whole Ten Commandments, only nine of them are repeated in the New Testament? Not the fourth one. 
because the other nine are moral law, moral code. And you can find them anywhere in the New Testament. And then Jesus even combined them all together. And he says, you want what's greater? You love God and you love your neighbor. And when you've done that, you've completed those other nine commandments. Their moral code. Why does Jesus basically violate the fourth? Because he's doing something new. He's Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was fulfilled through Jesus and the new covenant. It's complete. And God's new covenant people, us, are established. You can't find any New Testament command for us reiterating the mention of sin of breaking the Sabbath. Why? Because it's been fulfilled. As God's plan now unfolded through the covenants, think through this. God rested in creation. It was lost in the fall and somewhat recovered with Old Testament law. And then it's continued to look forward to a future day, a Sabbath rest. And it's now complete for us in the person of Jesus. Did the apostles understand this? Did the disciples understand this? You bet they did. Let's look at what Paul says in Colossians. See that no one takes you captive. How? By philosophy and empty deceit. According to what? Human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to who? Christ. Let's continue in verse 16. Therefore, listen to this, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, because remember, that was Jewish law at one point too, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or what? The Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? It belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Christ. You see, he's telling the Jews something greater has now come. Their rest, their Sabbath has come. It's here. There's no prescription for Sabbath rules anywhere in this new covenant. There's no instruction on how to behave on the Sabbath anywhere in the New Testament. Acts 15, the Jerusalem council convened because why? There's a, well, you got Jews in the church and now you've got Gentiles. And they don't know what to do. The Jews don't know what to do with the Gentiles because they're still hanging on to Jewish law. And what was it that they were going to require of a Gentile now that was a Jesus follower? Let's look in Acts Chapter 15, verse 28. Here's what they decided. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Here are the requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. No mention of Sabbath. No mention. So what does this mean for us today? See, we can go back to that original Genesis 2 chapter. 
and be reminded that every seventh day that goes by is an opportunity for us as Christians to acknowledge the greatness of our Creator. We can bless this day by acknowledging God as Creator. Now, does this mean that there's no day of worship set up under the new covenant? Absolutely not. There's plenty of evidence in the New Testament that now the eighth day is the first day of the week. And it's Sunday. That's now viewed as the Lord's day. That replaced the Sabbath. In fact, understand this, the resurrection occurred on the eighth day. Both which new creation commences and what else happens? Later Pentecost happens on the eighth day on a Sunday. The Spirit is poured out. On this day, we church gatherers gather for worship. In fact, the author of Hebrews, if you go into some of the Hebrews passages, he reminds us Christians to make sure that we've entered into these realities of the new covenant. And what does it do? It commands us to assemble as a church. This is what we're commanded to do. Why is this Lord's Day, the Sunday, prescriptive for us? Because it follows the New Testament pattern of churches gathering to celebrate the risen Lord. Now, this has not always been clear. If you're of a certain age, see, when I was growing up, I was taught Sabbath was Sunday. It was a day for the Lord. It was a day of rest. We had to do it because it was the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. In fact, when I grew up, we had Sunday laws that said no store could be open on that day. Do you know where this law it was instituted from? You got to go all the way back to 321 A.D. to Constantine when he approved this Sunday, the day of the sun, as a day of the rest for the great Roman Western Empire. It was a law first before he converted to Christianity that was enacted to honor the sun god, thus Sunday, requiring the rest of everybody that lived in that culture to honor it as well. The Council of Nicaea in 325 debated this issue as well, and we've been confused about it ever since. In our culture, later laws were relaxed to say that, what, any store now could open? Oh, you can open at 12 o'clock because church will be over. But now, what? No one basically pays any attention to this. No wonder we're confused. But what do we do with all of this? Look, here's three things we absolutely need as, as human beings. We have to have, number one, physical rest. We have to have, number two, mental rest. And we absolutely have to have, number three, spiritual rest. All three. We've got to set aside people one day a week. We're not meant to work 24-7, seven days a week. It's absolutely impossible. We've got to have mental rest. We have got to unplug from the things of this world that distract us and keep us up at night. We'd do ourselves pretty good if we'd lay off social media. But here's my main argument. 
we will never find our true rest, our Sabbath rest, until we find that spiritual rest. Jesus called it soul rest. If you hear one thing today, hear this. You will never find true rest, be it physical or mental or spiritual, until you rest in Jesus. Until he is your savior, until you are following him, won't happen. See, it's no accident in that Matthew 12 passage that we looked at today, that right at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus says these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for what? Your soul. You know, I, I, with all that has gone on the last few years, from, from, from the end of July of 2020 to January 2021, I couldn't have done it without Jesus. Two deaths, very close, and COVID on the first round. And I, I, I go back through that time where I was mentally worn out, I was physically worn out. But it was that soul-giving rest from Jesus that brought me through that time. See it? See, Jesus reminds us as people of God, the original intention for the Sabbath is unity with God, creation, and each other. Jesus teaches us that the Sabbath points to him, the one who promised through all of the prophets of Israel, the one who would mercifully restore rhythm of creation. What does this practice look like for us modern Jesus followers? Does it mean attending a weekly church service? It should. Turning off work emails, volunteering somewhere, serving. Does it matter what day you observe your Sabbath, your rest? You know, it can, it can be any day. Sabbath could include those activities, but the whole purpose of the Sabbath emphasized is not the rule for observing it. See, as followers of Jesus, God doesn't expect us as Gentiles to live by Israel's law. The Jews still do, because they're still looking for their Messiah. However, the wisdom of all these laws remains. The law of the Sabbath is significant with richness for us to understand how we got here today. But here's what I want you to remember. Sabbath is not a commandment we are bound to. It's Jesus' promise that we have been invited to enjoy. It's an invitation to enjoy Him. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice eternity here on earth in God's presence. It's an act of a regular and intentional trust of God and his rule on earth. We Shabbat, we stop working in order to truly rest in God's presence. The Sabbath was not made for you, but you for the Sabbath. Sabbath. 
and Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Come rest in him. The prayer rails are going to be open. We're going to invite the, pre- the team up as they come up. I invite you, come give yourself. Whatever you need to do today, whatever burden you need to lay here at these rails, come do it. I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray. Father God, what an awesome picture you paint for us. From the very beginning, you set aside a certain time of rest, and it needs to be physical. It needs to be mental, but most of all, it needs to be spiritual. We have to have you, Jesus, to experience that because we live in such a broken world. Lord, you know the hearts, the minds of every person here today and listening today. And I just ask that you stir in them something new, something fresh. If they don't know you, make yourself known to them. Reveal yourself to them. Give them a new heart. Make them a new creation. Give us that soul rest that we all are searching for but will never find but in you. So this time is yours. We pray these things through your name, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.